Welcome everybody to episode number 53 of Genre Ketchup, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of new genre film. I am your host, Adam Cervantes Wagner, and allow me to introduce my guest, guy who only goes to the movies on Christmas, it's Trevor Dillon. What is your cat's name that's constantly interrupting our show? That's Banana. Banana. Right. Oh, listeners of the show famously know Banana. Uh, <laughs> your co-host did not, could not remember Banana's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, gender is a construct, but is Banana a boy or a girl? Uh, she is a lady. Okay, very nice. Of course. Of course, you <laughs> you live alone with a lady cat. Um <laughs> Speaking of gender as a construct, we'll get into it, folks, because we're talking The Matrix Resurrections today. But tell us what else we're going to be talking about, Adam. This is the big episode because, uh, as you know, when Christmas rolls around, Santa loves to bring the movies to theaters for all the good and bad boys and girls. It is also Kwanzaa week currently, so if you're on vacation, you know, you might as well be going to the movies. We're talking about licorice pizza Drive My Car, Matrix Resurrections, and of course the easy one, Don't Look Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, after, let's remember this if we can, after each movie we'll assign it whether it's uh, for uh, good boys and girls or naughty boys and girls. Um, yeah, I'm happy with that. Uh, Want to start with some dreaded discourse up top? Absolutely. I hear you have something chomping at the bit. Yeah, I got a few things here, really. But um, I, I just want to start with this. So obviously the biggest movie still out in theaters right now just crossed a billion dollars worldwide. And we didn't do an episode on it. Uh, that's uh, Spider-Man 3 uh, into the spot. What's it? <laughs> what is it called? <laughs> Uh, uh, no, no way it, home. No way home. Yeah, sorry. Into the Spider Verse is the good one. That, that that's really really right. good. No way yeah. home. That's right. It's amazing. I cannot remember the name of that movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, so yeah, you were pretty upset that we weren't doing a Spider Man episode, but I learned this week, uh, you haven't seen the movie. Well, I would have if we'd planned to do one. We, uh, I don't understand. Like you got so upset. I saw the movie, and then you were like. Are we gonna do an episode on it? I'm like, no, like I don't want to talk about this movie. And then it comes to it comes to fruition that you haven't even seen the movie. So one of the criteria <laughs> we have on this show, which has only been broken one time, is that we have to watch the movies before we talk about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who broke that, by the way? Uh, I know it was me, but what movie was it for again? Uh, it was for it was a genre catch up, and it was for shoot, it was I think it was it wasn't the Zack Snyder zombie movie. I watched mm-hmm. that. It was Zola. Zola. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have time to sit down and watch an eighty-five minute movie. I still haven't seen Zola. Right, and I paid for it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I was supposed to watch it after you had paid for it, and I, and I still didn't do that. But I do need to catch up on that one because uh, Adam, we're going to be dropping our top ten favorite movies of the twenty twenty one soon. We don't know when, but I typically like to do it right before the Oscars, but the Oscars this year are in March. Do we want to hold off that long, or do we want to do it in February like usual? Yeah, I'm happy to do that in February. Speaking of which, I saw Power of the Dog is on Netflix. Yeah, that's Netflix, Netflix film. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Uh, did you not see it when it played here in beautiful downtown Santa Ana? I didn't. I sadly missed it. Uh, did you see it? Yeah, I did. I, w- I went and sat in on it, and uh, okay. maybe we'll be chatting about it when I go over oh, my top yeah. ten movies of the year. But, no, yeah, that movie is made to be seen on the big screen, but I- I've heard a lot of people have watched it at home and had a great time with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely watch that before we get caught up on our favorites. Um, last thing I have here is that we had a bit of Teton erasure by the Academy this week. Uh, the shortlist came out for Best Foreign Language Film, and France's 
France put out Titan as their movie, which, you know, is pretty bold. I'm sure that there was a much more boring movie that France could have put in there. Um, but it didn't even make the short list at the Oscars, which is crazy because spoilers for my top 10 of the year, I'm definitely going to be talking about Teton. That was a movie that really blew me away when I watched it. I think I saw it three times in theaters and for it to not even make the short list. Are we surprised by this? I think so. I think especially because it won the Palme d'Or, so it is a big deal in itself. And people, yeah, we love a Palme d'Or as listeners know. Um, I, I I can't believe people are in the comments of this stuff being like, oh, man, like the Academy or I think, who did they say? I think, oh, you know what? They were blaming it on Cannes. They were saying Cannes wasted their Palme d'Or. Like they gave it to <laughs> a movie that's not even going to win or get nominated for Best Foreign Language. I'm like, this oh is God. the perfect Palme d'Or winner. Like a movie that's yeah. this inflammatory and that the boring ass Academy wouldn't even look at. I love <laughs> it. It's a perfect use of the Palme d'Or. Yeah, and guess what, people? The Palme d'Or is a bigger deal than the Oscars, okay? Yeah, like Bong called that out last year. I mean, we talked about this on our classic Palme d'Or's episode, but Bong called it out two years ago, and he was like, basically, oh, yeah, it'd be cool to win Best Picture in this local film competition called the Oscars. <laughs> um, I have another, actually, Oscar-related question for you, but I have to wait to ask it later on in the episode. So. Okay. Yeah, well, um, do we want to get into it? Let's just start chatting about some flicks. Yeah, of course. Uh, let's start here. Uh, of course, we need to discuss the new Palm t- Palm. Jesus <laughs> Christ, <laughs> we're not stopping. We're going right through. Uh, my favorite living filmmaker, I think, is Steven Spielberg, and we can touch on West Side Story. But I think the best filmmaker of the past thirty years. Uh, I, you know, what? we don't like using words like we don't like using the B word on the show. The word best, mm-hmm. but my favorite filmmaker of the past thirty years got to be Paul Thomas Anderson. And um, as listeners of this show probably know, I went up to Westwood three times to see Licorice Pizza. Adam finally made his way up to Westwood to watch it on 70mm. They did a blow-up of it at the uh, Westwood Regency. Really cool facade. I'm sure a lot of you have seen the pictures, if not gone yourself. But we didn't want to talk about it until the movie actually hit quote-unquote wide release, which it kind of just barely did this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's time that we talk about it, Adam. Uh, to walk me through your experience uh, going to see the movie because this is a film that I think uh, the thousands of people who saw it before it went to wide release might remember the experience of actually going and seeing it more than the actual movie itself. But uh, tell me about it. Yeah, it was pretty um, pretty luscious, if I can say. That theater is very nice. And uh, obviously the uh, guy, the Trevor of that theater came up and talked about why um, they were playing it there only and then the other three theaters in New York is because Paul Thomas Anderson loves that theater. Those of you who don't know, would know that theater if you'd seen um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is something I'm going to bring up later as we're discussing this movie. But it was great. We uh, I went with um, a friend of mine, Taylor, mm-hmm. and uh, we bought um, a large Dr. Pepper we bought those sweet tart rope things. Have you tried those? I haven't, but I do love that you're going into your order because it is the type of movie experience where you walk in, you see people at the concession stand, and you're like, wait, I, because like, I don't get stuff when I go. I have the Regal Pass. Mm-hmm. I just go see movies, and it's very rare for me to get stuff when I go to the movies, but I walked in and I was like, man, I got to get some popcorn for this one. Like, this is like going to be yeah. a full experience for me. Yeah, you got to treat yourself. And you know what they say? Monsters got to eat. <laughs> Yeah, you, yes, you do love to say that. I, I still, to this day, don't understand the reference. <laughs> um, 
and yeah, so they're they're actually really good. Those sweet tarts, uh, rope things. I highly recommend if you haven't tried them. And then, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll check them out. Yeah, and yeah, so we we sat down. What's funny is that we actually ran into some other Frida folk while we were there. Um, I don't know if they told you, but then they said thanks for like narking on us, which I, I guess they were sneaking away over there. So I just said, oh no, I didn't actually see anybody. Uh, um, well, yeah, that's the thing is I went on up. Sorry to stop on your experience, but we'll kind of cross cut between our experiences. I went on opening night. Uh, the Friday it opened at 715. Um, I saw so many people that I knew from the Frida Cinema in downtown Santa Ana. Just kind of Orange County film folk all up there. It was just such an it was such an event. And it was like such a oh, no, duh, you're here. That makes sense. We're all here. All. And. I will say that the person you mentioned that someone went up and talked about the theater for a little bit. There was a person who did uh, an intro for my screening. Uh, it was uh, the writer and director of the film, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he talked for probably a total of forty-five seconds. Uh, just very <laughs> cool. Locked in. Said like, you know, thanks for being here. Love this theater. My favorite theater in the world. Seventy millimeter. Stay off your phones for the next two hours. Enjoy. And he just walked out. And everyone was clapping while um, the lights were going down. And as he was walking out the back back area, the people who were in the back like stood up and gave him like a standing ovation as he was leaving. <laughs> so the energy in the room going into the movie and all the way through the the credits, which this movie has fantastic credits, mm. um, was really really great. And um, I'm hearing a lot of people who were super annoyed by the energy of seeing this movie, but it's like then you should have just waited to see it when it went by release, and you could have watched it at the AMC Burbank. Uh, no, no shade on the AMC Burbank. I know a lot of people who will go there to watch their first runs because that's kind of a, that's kind of what you have to do when you live in LA is go to places like that to see your first runs with, you know, the arc light currently still down and stuff. So, um, I, I just uh, my experience seeing the movie was great. Now, does the movie stand up to the experience? Adam, take it. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, we we also had a pretty good crowd. I, I'm guessing it was packed for your screening. Um, yeah, the three times I saw the movie, it was completely packed all three times. And that was once the first week, once the second week, and once the third week. So um, and the per screen average on this thing was massive. I mean, I, I even saw it at kind of a – not a matinee time, but one of the screens was at like 345 or something, and it was still packed. Trevor, Trevor, you're a bad boy. You've seen it four times. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right, real quick, let me explain. I've been to Westwood to see the movie three times. Uh-huh. But on one of the trips, I saw it two times in a row because traffic was so bad going home that when I came out of the 345, I just made a straight-up U-turn and went right back into the theater. You are insane, my friend. <laughs> That's not insane. The second screening that day was actually cooler. I actually enjoyed it. And guess what? We'll just start here. I love this movie. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, I loved it too. Um, I thought it was... I mean, that, that's what I was getting at. Is like the crowd here was still really good. Um, there wasn't too much talking, but there was still like a pretty good amount of laughs. Um, but it wasn't packed, which was awesome. I thought because I could kind of just relax a little bit. But, yeah, um, I I would I would sit on the wings, kind of like when I went when I made did that U turn. I came in and I sat literally all the way in the back and all the way to the side in that very corner seat and it was still great there's not a bad seat in that entire theater but let's stop talking about the theater let's talk about the movie licorice pizza yeah um definitely amazing um i don't know where to start so let's just get into the controversy of it i knew that oh, when God. it wide the released the real dreaded discourse yeah and i knew that that was going to happen I, I figured you probably would think the same thing that once it wide released because this was just for people who wanted to see it 
you know, for the past few weeks. So there was no obviously like uh, weird like feelings towards it or anything. It wasn't until it ended up in the real world where people are going to see it and the people are getting upset. And why is that, Trevor? Yeah, I mean, so I I'm, I heard something. I had dinner recently with uh, two friends who don't listen to the show, Ellie and Sam. Uh, and they were telling me that they uh, – I was like, have you guys seen Licorice Pizza yet? Because they live in Los Feliz. And I, they were like, no, we heard it was bad. And I was like, oh, from who? Like one of your friends? They were like, no, TikTok. Uh, told us it was bad and i was like oh right right as this movie expands tiktok and those people are gonna pick it up and they're gonna they're gonna say whatever they want about it with not using context i'm sure some of them haven't even seen the movie mm-hmm. a lot of people are out there being like this movie is for pedophiles <laughs> it's like you only <laughs> like it if you're a pet i'm like okay so context and media literacy is fully out the window at this point with the young crowd and that's and that's fine you know that there's a reason why spider-man is over a billion dollars already and i hate to be that guy who's really down on marvel but i'm finally there we'll obviously talk about this when we get to the matrix resurrections but um licorice pizza is about a a very lost 25 or 28 year old we don't really know in the course Mm -hmm. of the movie but uh who meets a, a 15 year old who is extremely confident uh, knows exactly what he wants. Um, I think that the most interesting thing here, and I, we're going to talk very light spoilers here, is that the Gary Valentine character played by Cooper Hoffman is, and uh, you'll laugh at me because you, you've seen the movie one time, right? Yes, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, whoa, wow, only once. It took me two screenings to actually figure out that he is actually, because he seems so confident, right? He goes to the old cock every night and has his own seat in at that place and in Sino and just very like, he's just a very put together 15 year old, or at least he uh, portends or portrays himself to be that. Um, he's actually at the end of his career. It seems when we pick him up in this movie <laughs> right. and I didn't even pick that up. I mean, obviously there's the shot in the trailer where he's sitting next to all the kids as he goes into his audition. Uh, and just that shot alone should have let me know, Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson is trying to tell me that this extremely confident kid is pretty much done in his chosen profession. (laughs) And him going to the old cock every night is the same thing that William Holden, Sean Penn's character, and all these people are doing. He's in the exact same place they are. He's basically going there to relive his glory of being like them, you know. Uh, Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but uh, of the the Alana character – is the arguably much more interesting character, a, a tw- 25-year-old or 28-year-old, who um, really reminds me of a lot of the actual Paul Thomas Anderson protagonists that we've, uh, you know, even your, like, um, what's the guy's name in The Master? Joaquin Phoenix's character, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, even like a, you know, Daniel Plainview or something, where <laughs> uh, at any given moment, Alana's character will make a decision as a 25-year-old young woman that you'll be like, whoa, why did she do that, you know? Right. And yeah. it's uh, it's almost so much more justified uh, in this movie than those guys in those movies. Uh, it was really nice to see him write a, a female character who was so heavily flawed, right? So yeah. I'm ranting and raving about all of this because it context matters when the movie shows them slowly build this very innocent relationship by the way we are not seeing them on screen spoilers for something that doesn't happen in this movie these two characters are not having sex throughout this movie and also they end up not having sex at all like we don't see that on screen we don't know what happens after the movie ends but 
there's a movie out right now called Red Rocket, Adam. Yeah. And if Red Rocket <laughs> finds the mainstream some way, that movie actually does everything that this movie is like. Every people are saying this movie does. You know what I mean? Like people mm. will actually be outraged by Red Rocket, but Red Rocket will not find the mainstream. It doesn't star one of the Haim girls. It's not directed by America's leading auteur right now. So, if I think the big argument that people think their their galaxy brain take is well, if you switch the Alana and the Gary character, how would you feel then? That movie can't exist. It doesn't make sense mm-hmm. in the context. That is completely different context. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. context matters. The movie takes place in the 70s. Um, and also, like, you know, my parents are, I think, five years away in age. But it, my parents are in their 60s now. I, <laughs> I promise you that they have friends who met when one of them was 23 and one of them was 14 or, you know, 15 or something, something very close to what this movie portrays. Uh, So anyways, context matters. Also, I'm sorry to not let you speak on this, but it's, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's the Wolf of Wall Street or Goodfellas thing where it's like Scorsese is not, he's just portraying these people. He's not like, there's no thing that comes on the screen that says Martin Scorsese also approves of everything that these characters are doing. Right, right. And Scorsese didn't even write those movies. Paul Thomas Anderson authored these characters. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and there's, and I think his big thing was like, basically shut up. There's not like a, there's not a nasty bone in this movie's body. You know what I right. mean? Like, yeah. so people are bringing their baggage to it. So I, I hate to talk this much about the, the dreaded discourse, but I thought about it a little bit, and let's hear what you, let's hear your take now that I've just nuked everything. Yeah, no, I think you're you're on top of it. I mean, that's the thing is it, it's so very intentional. And what's great about this movie is that these two characters, among the others two, are um, well, one the Alana character is aware of it. Even in the trailer, you see like, do you think it's weird that I hang out with? Uh, you know the names better than I do, Mister Four Times. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you think it's weird to hang out with Gary and all of his fifteen-year-old friends? And yeah. uh, and then she even admits uh, while she's getting stoned with her sister, like, I think it's weird that I hang out with <laughs> yeah. Gary and all his fifteen-year-old friends. Uh, and th- I think another thing that's kind of shocking people is in that scene, her sister is like, "Hey, it is whatever you think it is." No one in the movie, no one, steps to these two people and says, "Hey." That's kind of weird that you two are in like a little cutesy relationship. In fact, it's the exact opposite. People are constantly telling them or asking them like, hey, how long have you been together? Hey, why aren't you together? Like literally, like it just wasn't that weird back then. Right, exactly. It's in the context of that, of the time. And um, it's also these two characters are extremely toxic to each other. I mean, this is not like a happy-go-lucky relationship. It comes off that way and it's sort of mood because it's such like a jovial movie. But... They are very toxic. And it's funny, too, seeing this come uh, right after Phantom Thread. Do you think that this is like uh, the second in the toxic trilogy that Paul Thomas Anderson might be creating? Yeah, I mean, I love it. (laughs) I I love it. Like, Magnolia has a lot of that toxicity for sure. I I saw a tweet that was like, Magnolia is for Fiona Apple. Uh, Phantom Thread is for Maya Rudolph, and this movie is for Allah Ham's mom. <laughs> so basically, well, that, okay, I'll, I'll let you get back to it. Sorry, but I, my favorite thing about Licorice Pizza is that it's the exact opposite of what we talked with uh, last night in Soho. Uh, and Phantom Thread really, really exposed it, but I do love a movie that exposes a filmmaker as just like a, a nasty little freak boy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I yeah. love it. You're just like, this guy's a freak. And like, he at least 
puts it out there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's awesome. And I think if anything, if anything, for those people who are complaining about it, it's going to highlight that it is a weird thing, you know, that like you said, they can't the movie can't exist in like a reverse swap way. However, these kinds of things aren't as highlighted where it is like an older woman taking advantage of a younger kid. And so I think just for that purpose, people should be more like, yeah, I'm glad that this movie exists for that to look at that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's not, The Graduate is one of the most famous movies of all mm-hmm. time. Like, that's like, that age gap is so much crazier. But I think just because the Dustin Hoffman character is 18, it's like, oh, well, we don't, I had somebody say like, man, I wouldn't have any problems with this movie if Gary Cooper's character was, I call him, I call him, his name is Cooper Hoffman, not Gary Cooper. Yeah, Gary yeah. Cooper is a. Mr. Four it, Times over here. Uh, Gary Cooper is a very famous actor who was in Westerns <laughs> in the 50s. I believe Cooper Hoffman was named after Gary Cooper, which is why his name is Gary in the movie. So anyway, mm. um, anyways, yeah, it's true that if the character was 18, that this wouldn't movie wouldn't quote unquote have a problem, but it would be less interesting. I, I, I truly mm. believe the film would be less interesting in that regard. It's like. There's something about, like, him leaving high school at the age of 18 and being confident and stuff. I think we've seen that movie, that that kid who's hustling just like Gary hustles with the pinball machines and the waterbeds. It's more, he's more entertaining of a character if he's a young 15-year-old boy who has his mom working for him, etc., etc. Um, it, just, it just works better. It's a more interesting choice. Movies are all about choices. So, yeah, that's just basically what I have to say about that. Yeah, so you're talking about The Matrix, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the sexiest movie of the year. Um, yeah, so I think it's... A, but yeah, let's get to the movie. Um, it's very vignette It's almost like a like perfect mesh of Paul Thomas Anderson's last like two eras of film, right? He's focusing again on two specific characters, really, but it's still... They spread out and they meet characters. You know, they go from every 15 minutes, it's one crazy character or, or to another. Um, and it's like a it's a pretty cool idea. I like that. It's very much like just a fun sort of romp where you're kind of feeling out the characters and feeling them change through all these other people and through their harebrained ideas. Did you happen to have a favorite third character, I guess? Yeah. Um, uh, so I really I think the two characters that kind of set the movie on fire are Bradley Cooper's John Peters character mm-hmm. uh, and then the um, the. I guess the talent scout they go to, the lady who uh, Cooper or uh, Gary keeps saying, just say yes, just say yes, just say yes. That actress who's also in Phantom Thread, who I uh, don't have her name in front of me right now. Uh, She's also Paul in Frasier. Anderson. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson clearly loves that that actress. Like, <laughs> yeah. we'll let her just do anything. Because her, her performance in this movie is way over the top. It's not in the same movie. And mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty much the same in Phantom Thread. So she must just, like, have his funny bone uh, <laughs> going nuts. And he just lets it. So I would, say, I would say that that's probably my favorite third character is the talent agency lady who comes in. Uh, I know you said that you really like the guy with the Japanese fetish. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. How did that? That's not even getting brought up because of the other, the other stuff. Well, that was getting brought. That was actually the first thing that came up was was people who were seeing it early were saying there is two racist jokes in this movie, and we I do not want to touch this discourse because I can acknowledge that shit does not need to be in this movie. Yeah, like I, I like I don't need to argue about that. That doesn't need to be in this movie. But I will say, context once again very much matters. 
that 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 was nuts <laughs> yeah um when that first started happening uh, taylor who i was with like turned and looked at me with like wide eyes because <laughs> she doesn't know paul tommy sanderson as well you know or anything like that and she was like what did you bring me to <laughs> yeah yeah like it, it doesn't help that you're in a crowd with people who are just like dying laughing at it and it's just, <laughs> just the joke is certainly on him that character yeah. mm-hmm. and the punchline that he doesn't speak japanese is you know, like it, it's cheesy and it's cheap, but the joke is certainly on that character. But I can absolutely agree that if it hurt anybody's feelings or made anybody mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable, yeah, that did not need to be in the movie. It didn't right. move the plot, but nothing moves the plot in this movie. It's it's a hangout movie. It's it's like you were mentioning. Uh, it's like the it feels like a best of Paul Thomas Anderson to me. The mm. one thing it doesn't have, I will acknowledge, is it doesn't have. There's, like, no shots in this movie that made me go, oh, my God, like, there will be blood of the master, you know? It's just the movie feels authentic to the time. It feels well put together. It's well directed. And by shots, we have this controversy once again. I mean, cinematography-wise, there's nothing, like, breathtaking, you know? But there's some really awesome long tracking shots that he uses once again. Um, There's, I mean, killer performances. Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman, for this being their first movie they've ever been in, Mm -hmm. is crazy. It's nuts. Um, Bradley Cooper, if he picks up a supporting nomination, sure, great. He did an awesome job. Uh, didn't take me out of the movie. Didn't care. Was there a vignette that you did not care for? Like one that like maybe next time if you were to see it in a theater, you would go to the bathroom during? I didn't really care for Sean Penn stuff. Yeah, that's that one to me. Yeah, that's pretty much the one for me as well. Uh, did I still like it? Yeah, of course. Like yeah, the whole the whole scene with Tom Waits and the the bike and the the punchline of her falling off and everything and him sp- sprinting to her is one of my favorite moments in the movie. Her drunkenly being like, "Oh, I fucked up Daniel's guitar. I fucked up Daniel's guitar." It feels very authentic to me. I do like that scene, but if yeah. I'm trying to cut 15 minutes out of this movie, then that one's pretty easy. Yeah, and. Uh... Uh, yeah, I think just a great cast. It was cool to see um, the Safty bro in there doing a great job. I really liked his character. Yeah, and, uh, what a flick. The The reveal of his character at the end is so Magnolia, so good, so re- the red airings are placed perfectly. It, like, took my breath away and contextualized the movie leading into that beautiful last moment that... The, the beautiful last moment of this movie could be like, oh, boy, he's really doing this. This is so cheesy. You know, what is this, love, actually? And, God, <laughs> that Greenwood score, it all works, man. I'm yeah. telling you, like, what does he do better than other filmmakers? Am I just because it's a PTA movie, am I, am I fanboying over it? Would I be rolling my eyes if this was a Netflix Christmas rom-com? I don't know. But I'm telling you, there's something he does better. It just, just that's just a fact. <laughs> I think it's just the people. I think he just does people better, and, yeah. and that's what you like to see. Yeah, we care about this. We don't necessarily want these people to be together. Like you said, it's a very toxic, very the power dynamics. He loves his power dynamics. You mm-hmm. know, Phantom Thread really obviously um, put that on display as well. The power dynamics, the push and the pull. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Alana's like, I'm not going to drive you to go pick up those pinball machines. Mm-hmm. You And he's like, fine, I'll just drive myself. And she's like, okay, okay, I'm kidding. Let me drive you. Let me drive you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. th- this kind of pushing of back and forth and testing of each other feels very, unfortunately, authentic to relationships. But uh, you're right. I think that's probably what he does better. He just has better characters. He authored better people. Not better people, but more interesting people. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think, you know, what, what's cool to see is all the little uh, roles in there, too. I, I 
my the time I laughed the hardest was when I noticed John C. Riley in the film. Yeah, that got like a, a pretty big clap break opening night. <laughs> like, of oh, course, nice. right? That's the perfect audience for that. I was the only one laughing at that. And even the Taylor turned to me and she was, or afterwards, she was like, what, what was going on there? I didn't understand. Uh, but that was such a great role for him. Like, yeah, I'm the real Herman Munster. Uh, uh I, I really like uh, Tim Conway Jr.'s role as the um, casting agent who uh, – he has my mm-hmm. favorite line in the movie where he says, like, hey, how you doing? He goes, good, good, divorced, but uh, losing weight. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> such a weird line for him to throw at this 15-year-old kid. Yeah, and then also um, there's uh, Leo DiCaprio's dad is in this movie. Yeah, worst performance of the movie. <laughs> the, the performance is so <laughs> off that if you watch the scene again, Mr. Four Time here is going to tell you that they actually don't even put him on camera for most of his dialogue. It's just all it, – he, he's all off screen because, I don't know, man, he walks on. and It's funny because apparently he used to sell waterbeds, but for some reason he just feels very inauthentic in the role. <laughs> okay, so um, that's why. I was wondering why they put him in there. Yeah, apparently he used to actually sell um, waterbeds. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, like I said, this has all the hallmarks of, 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 of a PTA movie. I mean, you even have like, you, you call it vignettes. I would say the truck stuff, that whole yeah. thing, that's, that's a set piece. That's like yeah, an action uh, set piece in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really good. And then also, if we're getting to the auteur side, I think metaphorically, that's a great scene. It works so well. But it, that's, that's also what works well is because... These scenes play so light and fun, but yeah. like underneath all of them, there's really great depths if you want to explore like each little moment to it. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie that like my parents had flirted with seeing it on Christmas Day and we ended up not going to see it. But I was like, whenever y'all go see it, like, please invite me. I want to see this movie. I mean, there's just a lot going on in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess I'll just have to. Oh, before we get into this last moment. Uh, the soundtrack. The soundtrack is mm-hmm. – a uh, uh, friend of the show, Ian Hawk, gave me the soundtrack on vinyl for Christmas. And, man, I cannot wait to spin it. It is <laughs> it is a great soundtrack. And it's just like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's not necessarily the songs that you would have actually heard on Top 40 Radio at that time. But um, it, it, it improves on the Boogie Nights soundtrack, in my opinion, because Boogie Nights very much seems like a soundtrack from a 27-year-old who's like – oh, well, these songs were really popular during the time, so let's throw them on, whereas this one feels like not deeper cuts from the times, but maybe the songs that were 7 and 8 on the chart as opposed to 1 and 2 on the chart at that time. It just feels very much like these would play on the radio, but they wouldn't, not like how, like, what Kiss FM plays, like, the same five songs over and over again now. Um, It just, uh, I won't call them deep cuts, but they're songs like, like they're songs that when you've heard them growing up, like I've heard a lot of some like the the door song um, that plays, or yes, yeah, uh, certainly the Paul McCartney the Wings song, the Let Me mm-hmm. Roll In, which is a lot of people are talking about as one of the best needle drops in the movie. Um, that's a song that when you listen to it, uh, independent of this movie, previous to this film existing, you think, man, this would be really good in a movie. <laughs> and then Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> puts it in, and you're like, yeah, he got to it, he got to it before <laughs> we all did. Um, so yeah, what you what you think of the soundtrack? Yeah, absolutely. I've been listening to it. Also, um, the music that they put in there as well as Johnny Greenwood. Uh, Johnny Greenwood knows how to mix in with a soundtrack so well. Um, Yeah, it's very sparing. Very sparing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but it's really fun. I thought the life on Mars uh, usage with that scene was really cool. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um, Really, really sweet scene. And I mean, he just shot that scene for the song. It almost feels like it's just one long take. 
it, it, it could be any length, really. We already got the picture. It was just cool to experience with the song going on at that same time. Uh, we um, do need to wrap this up here, but my favorite yeah. needle drop is the is when they're in there in the studio, and the one guy with the very seventies voice is like, "Buy a Bernie's waterbed," blah 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 blah, and then he's mm-hmm. like, "And here's the doors," and it's I think uh, it's the song's called "Peace Frog" or "Peace Frogs" comes on, and it's a song I've heard by the Doors. It sounds very Doorsy, and it m- immediately cuts to them sprinting out of the studio, sprinting into where they they have their phones, and we're kind of tracking them down a hallway, and it's very energetic, and they pick up their phones, and they're like, "Fat Bernie's," blah blah blah. And then it cuts to them loading up the truck, and I just was like, "That was the moment where I was like, oh, yeah, this movie is really cooking right now. Like, yeah. this is really great.' Uh, there's a good twenty minute stretch where I think he plays like four songs, and it's like mostly music. Mm-hmm. Like, he there's a lot of music in this movie, but I, I love it. It just keeps the energy up. I, I think it's great. This very much to me feels like a response to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, it's PTA seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and being like, oh, I have one of those laying, laying around right. yeah, <laughs> in absolutely. my house, you know? Um, which is very cool because it's, it's, I mean, it's, what, similar era, similar style, kind of hangout movie, vignette talking about sort of, t- well, this one kind of touches on, yeah, our, the, the, like, entertainment industry, not as much as the other one, but um, I'd love to do a, a double feature. I don't know how you felt about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really liked it. Yeah, I, I liked yeah. it too, but that movie was very Hollywood-based. This is very much The Valley. I mean, this yeah. is this mm-hmm. is PTA's domain, you know? Like, there's just so much Valley iconography in this. It was like, when I heard he was making a movie set in the 70s, like Boogie Nights in the Valley, like Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, all these movies he's already made, I was like, man, this feels like kind of like easy mode. And then you go and see it and you're like, no, it's like God mode. <laughs> like He's <laughs> like, I'm just going to make a movie that I know I can knock out of the park. And gosh, if you're listening to this and you didn't like it, sorry, uh, but I certainly did. Yeah, same here. Um, we'll definitely be discussing it on our best of t- the 2021 episode. But uh, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, let's talk about the Matrix 4. Of course, that is Matrix M4RTIX. That's incorrect. Um, but yeah, yeah let's you, talk you about missed it. A, you missed a T in there. That's all right, though. Yeah, this so had... where did you watch this, Trevor? So I, I saw this in IMAX uh, at the beautiful Irvine Spectrum Regal. Um, I want to start this off by saying that this episode is going to be kind of just falling action from here. Like it'll be licorice pizza. Then let's just let, let's touch a little less on these next three movies. But, uh, yeah, I saw it at IMAX, um, had pretty high expectations for it. I recently revisited the original. Um, I think that I had a little bit more context of what to expect from this movie than some of the haters, but, um, which I am not. I am not one of the haters. Spoiler. We'll get into it. Uh, but, you know, from the trailers, I can't blame them. The trailers really did set it up to be what seemed a direct sequel to the first one. Very similar to the first one. When We'll just start here. I will not do spoilers for this movie. Watch it on HBO Max right now or if you feel safe enough, go see it at a theater. This movie is very, very much a direct sequel to the the matrix trilogy um it is somehow simultaneously an anti-sequel uh and also a sincere sincere love letter to the matrix uh, a creation by lana and lily wachowski uh only directed by uh, lana wachowski this time around but uh basically the movie is follows neo 
Uh, we actually don't open up on Neo, Adam. We stay with uh, an awesome new character called Bugs for the first, like, 15 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. But um, this movie is about a creator wrestling with the idea that the rest of the world has taken their creation and projected a bunch of bullshit onto it. And I love how 20 minutes into this movie, you can feel how angry Lana Wachowski is that A, she even had to make this movie, and B, (laughs) the stuff that she has to see on a regular basis, not only ripping off the Matrix, et cetera, et cetera, but all this nonsense that's in theaters right now. I think it's awesome this movie dropped as closely to Spider-Man as it did because it is truly directly hating on movies like spider-man that are just so banked on nostalgia and literally directly hating on film bros and warner bros uh and i just found the movie overall fascinating and we can sit here all day and talk about whether it's a good movie or not but (laughs) i love the idea of massive hypocrisy also in this movie of being like Man, all this, all the, the, all like the masses one is nostalgia and blah, blah, blah. And then also kind of also giving us beautiful nostalgia. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. So, what were your overall thoughts on the movie? And you can tell me whether you thought it was good or not or if you had a good time. I don't, I don't know. You watched this at home, right? Yeah, I watched this on Christmas. Um, I was saving it because I was also pretty excited about it. Um, I wish that I liked it more. I, because I feel like everyone that I know really likes it. And, um, I feel a little bit left out. So maybe we could play it a little bit like this is because I think you liked it. I'd say a lot. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like favorite it on Letterboxd or anything. Uh, It's not going to be in my top 10 of the year. Uh, I just would overall say I found it refreshing. It was kind of shocked at, um, again, light spoilers when they go to IO uh, kind of the Zion replacement for this movie. And we get like a good 30 minute chunk that is like really matrix lore just extending that matrix lore (laughs) i was not expecting that in any way i I was expecting an anti-sequel through and through um basically the last jedi times 20 you know just Mm -hmm. the biggest middle finger which we get for a lot of the beginning of that movie um (laughs) characters literally saying like oh this isn't the story we think it's gonna be or you know like uh, almost it almost reminded me uh, of one of your favorite movies the beginning of um Austin Powers and Goldmember, uh, where they do, um, what is it? Is it Austin Pussy or something? Where, where like, Kevin Spacey is playing Dr. Evil and Tom Cruise is playing Austin. It it literally felt like we are going to get, like, that type of movie. And Mm -hmm. The Matrix is a video game in this that Keanu, not Keanu, but um, Thomas Anderson has created. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, sorry, I I got off track there. No, no, yeah. I I, I really like that aspect of it. Like, I think I like the punch of this movie you know i like that it it wanted to be this thing and it ends up pretty successfully being that thing and like firing shots you know it's almost like a like a rapper dropping a diss album in a way but movie form you know and that's very cool Um, but it'd be like a rapper dropping a diss track to the fans of that rapper (laughs) like like uh, i think that people posted that screenshot of, of lily wachowski I think it's like um, Elon Musk tweeted, like, take the red pill. And then, like, um, fucking, what's Donald Trump's daughter's name? Yeah. I don't even think about these people's names anymore. It's so nice. Her (laughs) her retweeting it as Ivanka. Or Ivanka? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and she said, like, already taken. And then I'm sure you've seen Willy, yeah. Lily Wachowski responds to it and says, fuck you both. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like that, but a movie. Like, yeah, which I, which I, I think love. is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's great. Um, but I think I think what I I think it was it was to me just that. Right. And I, right. it was harder for me to enjoy it in terms of like it didn't really have the cool sort of style of the Matrix, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is something I know, you know, that they're kind of bagging on. But at the same time, it would have been nice to see them actually do some really cool stuff. There's an action scene at the end there when they're riding the motorcycle through the city, yes. which is excellent. Yes, um, I agree. And it also looks very good. Yeah. And that that's really the only part of the movie where I was like, yeah, this rules, you know. There's no other parts in it that were very, like, stylish stylistically very exciting to me and they even kind of nod to it you remember you talked about it in the last episode one of your favorite shots is when their helicopter is shooting and dropping bullets and then the rain and the skyscraper reflection um and they have a nod to that in this movie um yeah yeah, as you know but it's not nearly as cool and i think that sort of represents exactly what is missing in my opinion or what they are, are missing from the film yeah, I, I think I, I don't – again, I try speaking for you sometimes. I think what – that – I agree with you. That last set piece all the way to the roof, all that, I thought that all looked great. Interestingly, they had a cinematographer, John Toll, on this who did have to step away mm-hmm. um, halfway through. And then they brought in – I think they're – I think that's the regular person. They brought in somebody else. Um, a lot of the cinematography and actions, it kind of feels like Jupiter ascending. It kind of feels like newer yeah, Wachowski. Mm-hmm. Um, and But that thing at the end felt – bar minimum like matrix reloaded action like 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 yeah. seemed new and fresh and weird and you know yeah. but it, it, ha- it had depth to it the movie it didn't it wasn't all cgi it looked good you know what yeah. i mean so i agree with you that that's far and away the best action sequence and some of the other stuff uh i think the opening stuff with bugs is pretty cool um there's some mm-hmm. there's some uh, interesting camera work in that but some of the stuff in the middle there is certainly there's a fight in a, in a warehouse that just it yeah it just feels very like by the numbers action yeah. and uh, I do agree. So I, I think what you're trying to say is like, like if you're gonna make an anti sequel, just like don't even bother giving me those action sequences. Like I don't need them to fill the time. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like if you have a killer opening and a killer ending, and you want to talk in the middle, just like you know, V for Vendetta does that. Just do that. Like I don't need these filler action sequences on the train and stuff like that. Like yeah. I think the idea of like taking him through the mirror and being in France and then taking him to a side room where we're watching the video game, not the movie. Well, it is the movie, though. The Matrix. Yeah. I think that's all interesting enough to not have the next scene be a chase through a train that's 1,000% CGI. Like, I agree yeah. with you there. Uh, so why this movie's not on my top 10 of the year list. It definitely has flaws. But it's so much easier for me to just be like, this movie fucking rules. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot easier. Like, um, But, yeah, it, it, there's certainly there's, – there's even big moments towards the end. Like, there's a really cool scene in the coffee shop at the end with all the, the cops or the agents and stuff. And mm-hmm. that's actually just before the really cool action sequence. And that's, mm-hmm. that's when it starts to look better. But there's a big reveal in that scene. It kind of just, like, stops the movie cold in its tracks. And uh, there's a there's a moment with the Trinity character that's supposed to be this big moment. I, I think that I don't think that there's any of those chill inducing moments. There's some really good. There's a really uh, 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 I guess this is a huge spoiler, but um, that's not. It's actually not a spoiler because it's halfway through the movie and it's not, it doesn't reveal anything. But it's when the Trinity character and the Neo character are sitting at the coffee shop and 
she's like, I, I feel like my whole life has been like this dream. And then she's like, and I feel like I've been waiting my whole life for you. But mm-hmm. then I'm upset because I realize what took you so long. And that line was like, that that line gave me chills in the movie theater where I was like, anytime those two characters were just sitting around interacting with each other, I literally was like, oh, this is the not only the core or the heart of the movie, this is also just the best stuff. Right. Like seeing these two, which, you know, is hypocritical because it's the most nostalgic thing to see Neo and Trinity back together again. So, uh, yeah, this movie, it had me wrestling with a lot of emotions and thoughts of, oh, that wasn't very good. And, hey, that was pretty good. You know, flashes right. of brilliance here and there. But I don't I don't want anyone else touching my Matrix movies than the Wachowskis. You know what yeah. I mean? So right. if that means i got to sit through a few lackluster action sequences that don't even contend with stuff from Reloaded and Revolution, then, you know, I'll suck it up. I'll make it through. Yeah, but it's so weird because obviously the Wachowskis love doing action sequences. um, And they, when they have the opportunity like this, why wouldn't they go full, like, you know, clever, cool, stylish? Yeah. It's possible that they just, they just don't have it in them anymore. You know, Uh, maybe maybe Lily's the cool, stylish action one. Hello? Hello, there you are. Yeah. Did you hear me? Yeah, what did you say? I said maybe the Lily is the cool, stylish one. Well, that's, you know, that, that's always the, yeah, it's very possible that Lana was the ideas and Lily was the execution. You never know. But uh, that can't, you know, that's not true because they both made Jupiter Ascending. And, um, right. uh, you know, that, that's what the action sequences looked like in Jupiter Ascending. There was a lot of just yeah. Channing Tatum shooting uh, yeah. in every scene. <laughs> so And that was kind of the bummer because, like, even the scenes of the city and everything really reminded me of Jupiter Ascending, which I thought was just kind of bland, you know. Well, that was what that was what our discussion of Jupiter Ascending was. Was that the yeah. the the action, the ideas, and the designs and stuff are really cool, but the action was a little samey. It was a little samey. Yeah. Um, and there's no difference here, really, other than the, I I will say there was a couple of action set pieces that were great, but there was five action set pieces. So, uh, you know, two out of five ain't bad, but uh, you know, um, uh, so I'm not. There's not a lot of people going around calling this movie a masterpiece. They're just saying that, like, they think it's cool it exists. And I'm in that camp. I think it's very cool this movie exists. Okay. Yeah, I could be happy with that. I would love to see some more. We'll see if we get that. Uh, I don't need to see more. <laughs> I'm not with you on that. I really don't need to see more. But if the Wachowskis want to keep putting out Matrix movies, God bless them. Yeah. You're not going to watch them? Uh, no, of course I'll watch it. Yeah, but, like, he'll be this movie's going to bomb night. horribly. And Warner Brothers is not going to let them. This is like their fourth or fifth bomb in a row. Like the Wachowskis are going to have to go back to just making more seasons of Sense8 on Netflix. And that's fine. <laughs> you know, I, like, yeah. I want to see a world with more Wachowski content. We'll, we'll get into them more as directors on this show, I'm sure. It's just yeah. very funny that we started with uh, Jupiter Ascending and then we eventually got to the Matrix. But I'm sure we'll one day we'll do a Speed Racer episode or something. I'd love to do that. Um, but speaking of Speed Racer, let's talk about Drive My Car. Okay, so a little bit of uh, context here for Drive My Car. Drive My Car won uh, Best best Scenario at Cannes Film Festival, which is uh, <laughs> Best Screenplay. Uh-huh. Uh, and Adam drafted it to his Cannes team. Uh, canteen, it sounds like I said. Cannes uh-huh. team uh, of five movies. Uh, I, it, people who obviously aren't super versed in our Palm d'Orcs episodes. 
Uh, what we did with uh, the 2021 lineup at Kansas here is we uh, went back and forth and we picked five movies each from the lineup. And uh, so far, uh, I, now the majority of them have come out, but we're still waiting on a few more. Uh, Adam, do you want to tell the listener at home what your team is? Uh, absolutely, Trevor. I have uh, French Dispatch, Drive My Car. <laughs> you, you don't know. You don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Let me bring it up. You have After Yang as well. Yes. Uh, you have Annette. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Is that it? Is that five? No, no. And then I also have... A hero? Oscar Farhadi? A hero, yeah. Okay. And uh, we'll throw licorice pizza on my list also. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, that's <laughs> great. No. Uh, so that's your five. I think my five was Teton, hmm. um, Bergman Island, yes. Vortex. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Red Rocket. Red Rocket, yep. And, and the worst person in the world. The, oh, boy. That's a good team. That's a good <laughs> team. So, so far, I've had Teton come out. I think Smash Success. I've had Bergman Island. Totally fine movie. Uh, will not be talking about that in my top ten of the year list. <laughs> um, and uh, what else? Uh, so, worst person in the world's not out yet. Vortex is not out yet. And I haven't seen Red Rocket yet. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that I have a winner with worst person in the world there. And I, I just got to avoid vortex being a, a disaster, but so far you've had a net mm-hmm. uh, speaking of disasters and <laughs> <laughs> the French dispatch. Um, and then I think this is your third movie, right? Drive my yeah. car. Cause we're still waiting on the other two. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're kind of neck and neck here. And I think the Frida is playing two, uh, one of each of our movies this coming month. Yes, and I also wholly disagree that we are neck and neck. <laughs> no, I mean in terms of um, release-wise. Yeah. Okay. Yes, we are <laughs> neck and neck in terms of films that have been released. This is. But true. we'll get into it. There's a big episode coming, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Drive My Car was on mine, and I have to say, after seeing it, I don't know how about you feel, but I'm glad it's on mine. I thought it was an excellent film. Well, Adam, uh, I am also glad it was on your team. <laughs> oh my God. No, no, no. I, I liked the film. I liked the film. But we're at the point now where your team's running out of some time, and you're going to need some movies to move that needle, as I always say. And do you think Drive My Car moved the needle for you from Annette to French Dispatch? To, I will say you have picked three very, very dense films. Right. Uh, I'm. Ho- it depends. I think Drive My Car is very solid if – say red rocket fails on your end then i'll be happy to have drive my car as like a lock you know yeah i don't Um, think red rocket's gonna move the needle for me i just don't i think i think that it's very possible that worst person in the world cinches it for me Mm -hmm. but then vortex could come in through the back door and derail my entire team (laughs) um so yeah so I'm, i'm happy about it i think um if i can get into the movie a little bit um it's very cool to get a long thoroughly japanese film you know set in modern day it's based on a murakami book um, or at least short story which i'm not a fan of murakami but i like the movies that his uh his that are based on his works uh burning excellent and now this one drive my car also really excellent um yeah i think go ahead it's hard not to compare this to burning for some reason uh, but we'll 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 get we'll get back to that. We'll get back to how right. you feel about this movie versus Burning. Yeah, I think I mean this movie is in a lot of ways feels like an epic, um, just the way it moves from sort of thing to thing. It focuses on this um, like stage actor slash stage director, 
Um, and as he like, you know, something very traumatizing happens to him at the beginning of the film. And then he like leaves to go uh, direct a play like in sort of rural Japan. Um, and just the things that it evokes. I really like that it took its time. I like those scenes of just um, him working with the actors and like trying to figure out scenes. I thought that w- that really worked for me when I know like you don't really need to have those in the movie. But it was cool. It was cool to have that and sort of... Uh, there's a catharsis at the end where it really wants to be uh, like to show you these heavy emotions realized of loss and coming to terms with yourself and, and the things you've done and forgiving yourself, um, which didn't exactly work for me. Um, I thought it was fine in itself, but um, overall, the movie I thought was really excellent and really emotional ride. Ha ha. I see what you did there. Uh, so three hours long, yes. uh, but but I will say, just like that car she's scooting through the countryside with, it did move fairly well. Yeah, uh, there are some really really interesting relationships, uh, not power dynamics like licorice pizza, but some really interesting relationships where you get to know like eight nine people throughout the course of this movie, and you get to mm-hmm. know them pretty well. Uh, you can do that when you flesh out a three hour movie, but um, I. I I think that you hit the nail on the head. The most interesting thing, because I didn't even see a trailer for this movie. I had no idea what this movie was about. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I had no idea what the central premise was. Like, she's going to drive your car. No clue. Literally did not <laughs> know that. Uh, little did I know, that's really not even that big of a part of the movie. Um, you know, it's like this movie starts off. It's, it's I again, we can't use the word vignette It's not really vignette It's just kind of a full stream movie about this one dude. But um, 40 minutes go by of about a, a, of one basically that could have been its own movie <laughs> um that could have been a very killer 40 minute short film right uh credits drop after 40 minutes opening credits which i thought was the coolest thing ever uh and then we start the movie which i was like whoa like the movie is now what the movie is about mm-hmm. is now starting yeah the <laughs> fallout from the first 40 minutes um the grieving process the the, the figuring out of who this person was that you loved, et cetera, et cetera, uh, through the eyes of this gentleman. And I will say that the parts where he's working with his actors, that was really interesting. And we us just sitting in it and listening to this checkoff play mm-hmm. for minutes and minutes and minutes on end. I will say the most the most I always say Paul Thomas Anderson is the 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 greatest director of scenes. Mm-hmm. But um uh I'm sorry, it's uh Hamaguchi uh Ryus, uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi Ryusuke ha- Hamaguchi yeah yeah he is on my list now I got to check it out he's got a couple of movies on Criterion he is able to hold your attention for long long scenes I yeah. I'm thinking specifically of that scene at the end with the two two gentlemen in the back seat yeah where baby. they're just I'm just talking back and forth to each other dynamically I mean the way he shoots it reverse 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 mm-hmm. reverse it still looks so good because we're in a car and mm. like the lights and stuff are changing and they're just talking for mm. like how how long would you say that scene is? That's a long scene. That's like you're twenty gonna, minutes. Yeah, you're gonna overshoot it. I'm sure it's not twenty minutes, but it's probably like sixteen, seventeen minutes of mm. just them talk. That's crazy. And for it to hold your attention that entire time. Um yeah, I mean the the movie it, it's extremely dense. The lead character is so 
difficult to spend time with mm-hmm. because he doesn't give us anything. You know what right. I mean? It, yeah. it, it's a, the movie, when I left, I was like, boy, that movie definitely was based off of a Japanese book because it <laughs> felt very Japanese and it felt very much like reading a book. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so as a singular experience, I can honestly say I've never seen a movie like Drive My Car. Yeah, which was so cool, I think, because um, even that scene, I mean, that's probably the the most gut-punchy scene in the movie. Those two are just sitting there in the back of the car, pretty much kind of destroying each other with the things that they know about this yep, one person yep, yep. that they kind of shared time with, um, which is awesome. And then I also love sort of the way that the play comes to a culmination at the end with the movie, how they kind of like go together and, and the very last scene where it's the woman who, uh, the, the mute woman, Yes. Um, who's speaking in sign language, delivering Fascinating. These, Fascinating, yeah, by the way. Delivering this pretty epic speech that, that works for the play and the movie in pure silence. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is that is some filmmaking, baby. That is that is what direction is. Is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> me sitting at the, the Frida Cinema in lovely downtown Santa Ana. Uh, this film did quite well for us, by the way, which lets me know that the Frida Cinema has really made a jump in terms of prestige films. That's um, awesome. I'm sitting there with 40, 45 other people, and it is dead silent in that theater. I mean, you're mm-hmm. watching a monologue by someone who is signing on yeah. stage during a movie. <laughs> it's just like this weird. It, it's like, boy, like what would what would Kaufman had done if he got his hands on this script? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just feels Kaufman-esque without being Kaufman-esque at all. I mean, it literally is not surreal. It is real life. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene at the end, which we're skating on spoilers here, with with him and the driver in the snow. That, that I actually found to be the biggest gut punch of a scene. But, man, that scene is like 15 minutes long. Yeah. And it's just her telling a story. And I'm just like, wow, I, I can't believe. I know, listener at home, you're thinking this movie sounds super boring. <laughs> if you tried watching it at home, you'd have a problem, I think, listener mm-hmm. at home. But if you uh, have a chance to go see Drive My Car on the big screen, um, my, my biggest sell to it is just you, you won't have ever seen anything like it. It's not shoplifters. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, whatever, whatever the last Japanese modern movie you saw was. It's not that. It's, it's, it's like you said, it, it has the, um, the stink of Murakami all over it <laughs> Trevor, <laughs> in a good way, though. Trevor, admit it. It moved my needle. Admit it. Uh, from, from what your two previous movies have done, yes, this movie was very interesting and definitely worthy of best screenplay and moved the needle a little bit. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, you know what was a really surprising and very charming thing for me in this film was the um, the man who the husband of the the mute person. Yeah, I thought that performance was phenomenal. I love yeah. watching that guy do his yeah, the, thing. The Korean guy, yeah, that was yeah. that was fascinating. I loved that reveal, by the way, which he, I yeah. I didn't see coming, which was really weird. I should have totally seen it coming. Yeah, it's interesting because he mentions in the car like. Um, Oh, don't get mad at me, you know, when we get there. And I'm like, all right, here we go, Murakami. What weird sci-fi junk are you going to throw in here? But it was actually a very nice, charming reveal. And then them talking at the the dinner table, again, another like 10-minute 10, 10 scene maybe. My favorite scene. That's my favorite scene. Yeah. And I just love the acting there, especially by that guy. I mean, he, he doesn't want to reveal something that they were that him and the director were talking about to his wife. Right. Like the way he does it, it's like a really nice smile. 
Um, just every moment that that guy's in, I really liked. I thought you was... love interpretation scenes when people are interpreting <laughs> stuff and being able because that that's a little mini power dynamic in itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Being able to filter what you're actually going to tell the person. Yeah, yeah. and it, but it's a sweet version of it, you know. Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. And so um, yeah, I, I really liked this movie. You know, re- even thinking about it now. Um, yeah, I thought I thought it was really really great, really unique movie. It's one of those that I'm really glad we have. You know, it's cool to see it come from Japan and not be like a, a you know I mean there's there's a number of auteurs in Japan but a lot of what they export obviously as you know is like anime or things that are very sort of tropey um, yeah. and don't get to be very art house and so it's always nice to see something like that yeah and the argument could be made that this movie could be licorice pizza length it probably could be about two hours and ten minutes a lot of the stuff that we're talking about um you know, so a lot of the stuff of them reading the script and reading the script and reading the script doesn't need to be in there, but there's a reason for it and he can do it. So why not? Yeah. yeah. And it, it works. And um, let's talk about a movie that um, does not work in its length. Shall we? <laughs> but before we get to it, didn't you, you know, did you have a point to make about the Oscars or is that about this movie? It's about the one coming up. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going with it. Um, but we're talking about uh, Don't Look Up, the new Adam McKay joint that's on Netflix right now. No reason to pay for it. No reason to go to a movie theater to see it. You can see it on Netflix. Um, and Trevor, I'm sure you did that. Well, I don't think it's... Is it playing at theaters? I, I haven't seen it playing anywhere. I think it's supposed to be opening um, soon. I think it is supposed to be playing in some theaters. I had a chance to play it and uh, really, really debated it. But at the end of the day, it's like a $100 million Netflix movie. Like, that's not what we do here. And, man, I'm really – because I could have been like, well, no one else is going to play it. It'll make a killing here. Um, I'm really, really glad I didn't. Yeah. This movie felt in a lot of ways like – actually, I didn't mind this movie. Um, But in a lot of ways, it felt like just one long deleted scene. You know the feeling where, like – you watch the movie and then you go into the the deleted scene sections on the DVD and you're watching it and you're like, yeah, that scene really doesn't work for the movie. I'm glad they cut it out. That yeah, was entirely yeah, yeah. the whole movie. Yeah, that, I was gonna say that's probably that that basically sums up the whole movie. I'm actually with you, Adam. I didn't really mind this movie too much. <laughs> um, I found it to be. Listen, I am not a fan of new new age Adam McKay. I feel like the I've seen some nasty discourse on Twitter uh, this week about people just coming out of the woodwork being like, "Yeah, no, I've hated this man's output since um, uh, the Big, big short. short." Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't like the Big Short, but now that I've seen Vice and Don't Look Up, I'm like, "Oh, well, that movie is certainly better than these two <laughs> movies." Right. Um, so I, I do need to revisit it, but. Um, I really, really didn't care for Vice. It had its moments. I thought Christian Bale was really good in that movie. But um, I was halfway through this one thinking like, huh, where would I put this in his the New Age filmography? But by the time it ended, I was like, oh, this has to be last. It has mm-hmm. to be. I mean, it just it just goes on forever. It's just so obvious. It's just mm-hmm. such a waste of massive talent. Yeah. Um, I think my main thing is uh, that it's – it's Mike Judge, like kind of idiocracy meets like Armando Iannucci, like the guy who made like Veep and mm-hmm. The Death of Stalin. It's those two filmmakers like kind of coming together, but not half as good as either of them, right. like combined. You know what I mean? It's like a quarter yeah. as good as what those two brains together would do. And it just it doesn't really work. Like Leonardo DiCaprio screaming at the screen like 
what do we have to do to convince you that this asteroid exists? Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I don't mind it being heavy-headed and obvious. I mean, I, I, I think its heart's in the right place. It's just the mishmash of tone. Almost anybody you talk to about this movie, that's what they'll bring up. They'll be like, it just it, – because it opens – strong i think like the first like 10 minutes i was like oh wow i thought this movie would be goofier than it was then we meet meryl streep and jonah hill who jonah hill has the only laughs in the movie but i'm thinking like did this movie really need that many laughs like i just i just feel like and i liked the kate blanchett and tyler perry characters it's it's weird because there's ingredients from this side of it and ingredients from that side of it that i did like Uh, but then putting them together the movie doesn't work at all right and the problem is that it doesn't it, it is obvious, like you said, but it doesn't have, like, really any revelation. It doesn't explore the ideas right. other than surface level, other than, like, hey, what if we, hey, you know how um, Republicans uh, hate this? What if they, they would probably hate this, you know? Republicans yeah. hate this, then they hate this. That's, like, the whole movie. And it's, like, okay, yeah, it's pretty, pretty obvious, ham-fisted, we get it. And, unfortunately, it is that idea for two hours essentially and it's the same idea over and over rehashed and rehashed and it's like it doesn't do anything interesting um until actually i I liked the last scene quite a bit um you know when they're sitting at the dinner table and and it's oh yeah 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 yeah, very very good very good depiction of yeah no i like that too i thought you meant the scene during the credits did you stick around for that scene yeah no that was that didn't need to happen uh, it was kind of it was kind of a funny punchline. Like I was like, oh yeah, that is kind of funny. But uh, yeah, no, that that's that was the problem. Terrible. Is like there's a joke earlier on, um, a little bit of spoilers here, um, but not really. Where the uh, guys like you know the, their phones can predict how you're gonna die. Yeah, yeah. And he tells the president how she's gonna die, and I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish they didn't because they kind of fru- the fruition of that scene is at the end credits, and I wish they didn't have that and just let the let it slide, you know? Right. Um, what, but, who would you say your favorite performance was in this movie? I don't know. I'd probably Jonah Hill, right? Because he, he's the only one who's like, who <laughs> yeah. does, who, who's like, I don't know. He, he's the perfect medium in this movie because it's a bunch of like wasted talent, like you said. And Jonah Hill is just a sweetheart who can nail either side of the aisle. You know, he can nail like a really good character or he can nail like a super bad type character. And this was like, that's kind of what this movie where it lands, you know, kind of in the middle of those. Yeah, there's a shot on him towards the end where he keeps saying like, uh, "She's coming back, she's coming back, they're coming back," mm-hmm. and it cuts back to and the whole room is empty and he just says like, "She's coming back," and it's like he's actually really acting in that sequence and you kind of do feel yeah. bad for him for a little yeah. bit, um, but then you remember. I, I don't know. I think Meryl Streep's like really bad in this movie, and yeah. uh, Mark Rylance, who's like usually the best part of any movie he's in, he's mm-hmm. kind of doing his Bezo- half Bezos, half Elon Musk thing. Right. He's just like he's just completely like they can't rein him in. He's just right. acting all crazy. Yeah. Um, DiCaprio, I find to be miscast in like every movie he's in, but weirdly as like a schlubby normal guy, like basically schlubby normal guy, but also the sexiest scientist on the planet. Right. Uh, I like that. Good yeah. casting. Yeah. Uh, I I, I want to say the role was probably written for him, but like Christian Bale could have easily have stepped in and played it well. Right. Um, Kate Blanchett is always great. Tyler yeah. Perry's good. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is very normal, and mm-hmm. for me, by far the best performance in the movie. Just kind of like that. What 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 she was doing, her tone. I think that that, that that's what the whole movie could have done to work. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think I think yeah, Meryl Streep like. 
the insanity of Meryl Streep and Ryan Lance's characters um, really throw it off a lot, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really like Kate Blanchett is just the best. I love her so yeah. much. Yeah, she's, uh, she's great. <laughs> um, Always. Yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, it was just like a vapid, airy movie. You could probably cut it down to, you'd probably take an hour out of this movie and it'd be better. I don't know if it'd be good. Um, you know what I'm saying, Mr. Runtime. But I think... <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it wasn't horrible, um, but I wouldn't watch it again. Like, I just don't need to have the same thing shouted at me over and over again. Yeah, like, and, I, and I, I'm part of the problem is being like, I know I'm not going to really like this movie, but yet I'm going to give Netflix that stream. And Netflix couldn't care less how bad Red Notice or this movie is when everyone's watching it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, they will not change their ways uh you know it's funny because netflix is that studio right now i think that's basically letting filmmakers do whatever they want Mm -hmm. which is really not it is really cool in that way but we're seeing it just not working out at all for (laughs) for a lot of these movies right and the last thing i'm going to say is man these movies should have been like don't look up should have been run through a studio that would have given adam mckay notes it's like no like just give him enough you know rope to hang himself i guess is like the kind of the thing that I'm looking for in a studio, but um, it, by the way, not to go back to the Matrix, but there's that entire scene in the Matrix Four where they're sitting there and the guy, uh, the new Agent Smith, is literally like, "Yeah, our our parent uh, company, Warner Brothers." <laughs> I was yeah. like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> Someone was like, "How did they let them make this movie?" I'm like, "Uh, because it's Matrix Four. Like they just yeah. were like they were just seeing green, you know, ironically the whole time." Yeah. Uh, anyway, don't look up. Uh, not really worth diving too much further into. I will agree with you. The best scene is definitely the dinner scene at the end. It mm-hmm. it uh it hit, it hit pretty hard for a movie yeah. with that had characters that. It's funny because those are the only characters we care about. In Surprisingly, the movie. yeah. And you know what yeah. I, I learned here is that Adam McKay really doesn't have his own style. Um, like, there isn't a style here. A lot of it's like shaky cam close-ups or just the camera put somewhere. And that was kind of a bummer, too, to like... I, I feel like he doesn't really have uh, shots that he wants to make, you know? I feel like he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't have that auteur side of, like, cinematography and whatnot. He still is in the run-and-gun thing that he used to do with you know, his mostly improv comedy movies, mm-hmm. you know? And like, it's like, maybe this movie would have been, you know, you have two of the biggest movie stars in the world as your leads. Like maybe we just don't, maybe we have a tighter script. And I had read an article about someone, I think it was Christina Applegate was talking about the making of Anchorman. And apparently back then in 2004, he was very, very, um, you know, focused on what the shots would look like, what the wardrobe would be like. And then they were comparing it to what the reports were from the like the Vice set, you know what I mean? Where he's just very loose with it, and you know it's um, he's just gotten looser over time, which is funny because he's now making quote unquote more serious movies. So yeah, what do you? So the question here is, do you think this is going to get nominated? Oh man, if this <laughs> if it does get nominated, and like Titan, you know, obviously is not. I think this is more of the end of the Oscars as like a prestigious thing. It is falling into the Grammys popularity thing. Yeah, I. It's just got so much pedigree to it. I mean, mm-hmm. I can see it picking up some nominations, but mm-hmm. I don't know for what because none of these actors should get nominated. Yeah. The screenplay should certainly not get nominated. Mm-hmm. He's not going to get nominated for director. But then what? They're gonna. It's, oh my god! The editing. Some of the editing in this movie was atrocious. Yeah, they. They. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
but then all of a sudden it's going to pick up a best picture nomination you know what i mean like right. like that that's the reality is that nothing else can get nominated here now the golden globes could have nominated a bunch of these in the music slash comedy category but i right. don't think they did uh right why not um we'll see i think that's that's what i'm dreading i'm hoping it's not nominated for anything honestly it just it just would be a huge like loophole to be like oh we're not going to nominate for anything it's not the best directed movie it's not the best written it's not the best acted it's not the best edited but here's the best picture nomination like what because uh i think that maybe they'll just nominate power of the dog which is going to be netflix's big push uh towards all of the categories which is smart because it's a pretty good movie um we'll see i don't really i I don't care we are never going to do an episode on this show about the oscars because i just don't care about them you know what i do care about the uh, the Golden Ghosties. That's right. Our uh, top ten movies of the year that we always do. Sure. That's still to this day our biggest episode was last year's top ten of the tw- of twenty twenty. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, where we rank this time. We'll do that in February. Um, before we we go to the ending here, I want to touch on something really quick from um, the Matrix. Okay. Yeah, I kind of uh, want to talk about the Matrix again. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's the. Uh, it's not really spoilers, but if you want to go in clean, you know, I would not listen to any more of this but, yeah uh, if, if you know if you don't want to hear the spoiler thanks for listening to this episode we'll yeah, catch you on the ne- we'll you. catch you next week <laughs> uh, um but yeah there's that um woman where they go to the new city of io it's a woman in charge of it and she's from the old movies you know yeah that performance was so horrible i thought <laughs> um it, because it, it, it's so ridiculous in that clearly this is not an old woman playing an yeah, old woman yeah. and she it's it's not working at all and then on top of that Three times she's like, oh, I'm so old. <laughs> it's like, all right. They're really trying to go for it. It does not work. Yeah, that's Jada Pinkett Smith putting on an old voice. Yeah. And, like, yeah, every once in a while, like, I'm too old for this to take up this much time and blah, 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 you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's really funny. I actually... I actually just kind of look past all that, but you're right. It was, it was not very good. It was ridiculous. That's funny. That's not a spoiler at all, by the way. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Is that it? That's it. That's all. Just those four movies. Uh, this was the year-end extravaganza. Very strong year for movies. I'm hearing mm-hmm. some contrary stuff from the layman's on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the basics. Uh, not not true at all. I still have some ones to catch up with before we do our top ten, which is why I want to do it in February, like yeah. usual. But I can't are, wait we're for not... uh, Macbeth. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm counting that as a 2020 release. I'm not going to count Worst Person in the World as a 2021 release. It's not. It's not. Neon's releasing it in March. That is not a 2021 release. Friend of the show, Kevin Cookman, saw it. I know, and I was going to bother him with how he saw it, but yeah. uh, so did friend of the show. Oh, oh, my gosh. Sorry. So did foe of the show. Sorry. What is he? What is, oh, yeah. Foe of the pod, Justin Moore. He saw it, and he was gaga for it. How did he see it? Do you know? Yeah, through um, uh, the um, Cinematography Society. Uh, oh, okay. w- uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe or, we should count it. Honestly, it was either the ASC or um, uh, or is it the American Cinema? Oh, it's ACS. It was either the ACS or Film Independence. I don't remember. <laughs> I think we should probably count it because I mean, it is it, it. People are seeing it this year. What? Okay, how are we going to count it if I can't watch it until March? That's your problem, buddy. That's after the episode. <laughs> All right, fine. We won't count it. It counts for my cans team, but yeah. anyways. All right. That's fair. Although it's it's nearing our next can draft. 
Yeah, well, whatever. That's fine. I can't wait for. That. I can't. I cannot wait to dive into a Cannes Film Festival this year. That's not gonna be fully stacked, uh, like this last year was, because it was like half leftovers from the year before, and then half from this right. year. Uh, it'll be interesting to really have to dig for like ten movies we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, that was it. That was it. I'm hosting the show. We want to yep. thank you guys uh, for listening. We really appreciate it, Trevor. You have anything to plug? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Letterbox at Trevor Dills, on Twitter at Trevor Dills, on Instagram at Trevor Dills, and always follow us here on Instagram at Ghost Party Picks, where we post about the podcast and just a bunch of cool stuff related to genre film. You know, Ghost Party, it's where art house meets grindhouse. Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I endorse following you on Letterbox, Trevor. Oh, oh, oh. Here, I'll, let me stomp on your punchline. Why? Because I just repeat it all here on the show? <laughs> no, that's a horrible punchline. Because I know for a fact you don't um, post movies or log movies that you watch. Well, I don't have to log every movie no, that I watch. No, no, you got to log every movie. That's why we're following you. We want to know what Trevor's hot takes are, what he's watching. And if you're just like doing Trevor selects so that you seem cool, I don't know. That feels phony to me. I mean, hey, if uh, if you're a freak who follows me on Instagram, sees me post that I'm watching a movie, and then notices that I didn't log that movie on Letterboxd, <laughs> then that's on you. I don't know. I'm only asking you to follow me on one of these platforms. Oh, my God. He admitted. <laughs> he admitted. Um, yeah, all right. And follow me on Letterboxd at Adam with three M's. I log everything that I watch because I'm a good boy. And uh, check out my website, Adam J.C. Wagner, where I post the stuff that I make. Um, that's going to do it for here at the Genre Ketchup Headquarters, uh, GKHQ. We want to thank you again for listening. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Leave us a review yeah. if you can on iTunes. Please roast us. We'll read it. We miss you guys roasting us. We've been feeling too good year end here. Um, yeah, we haven't asked for some reviews in a long time. And everybody, please stay safe as we enter this new year. Like like, like making cheese, Shane said on the last episode, uh, I loved his, like, summation at the end. It was very heartfelt and good. Yeah, yeah. Very genuine. Get vaccinated if you can, and you should. Um, and take care of yourself. Be careful. Call your loved ones. And um, I, I think that's it. We have, uh, Trevor, at the end of the show here, we have officially... We have officially uh, shown our stance as pro-vax, but will be opening up an alt-right Patreon very soon. <laughs> uh, no, we won't. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You got a new bottle of ketchup? Sure. It's on. Come on.